0: Today's Happy Healthy You podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash happy healthy you. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle or MP3 player. Hi, everybody. It's Connie Bowman. I just recorded my favorite podcast ever. And guess what? I forgot to turn my mic on. So I ended up recording with my computer's mic. Oh, I'm so disappointed. But it's such a great podcast. I'm going to put it out anyway. And I really think there's a metaphor in here somewhere. So if you have any ideas for me about what that is, let me know. I hope you enjoy Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. I'm Connie Bowman, and I want to give a little shout out to my college roommate, Barb. We always call each other when we have a God thing. Today's podcast is definitely a God thing. I have sort of a miraculous guest, and I call him miraculous because unbeknownst to him, he pretty much changed my life back when I was in college. I took a class with Dr. Ira Zep. He was the dean of religion at my school, and the class was called Liberation Movements and Human Freedom. Uh, I don't know if it was junior or senior year, but it was one of those classes that filled up like right away, and so you had to get in there and get on that roster if you wanted to take the class because it was just so popular. We studied the roots of racism and sexism and uh, religious intolerance and pretty much everything that prevents us humans from living in harmony here on earth. And that's how I believe we're intended to be living. So during that semester with Ira, we were introduced to a poem that for me and for thousands, maybe millions of others around the world, has been a life changing piece of art. Uh, it's shaped my beliefs and my capacity for compassion. It's done so many amazing things in my life, and I know it has affected other people similarly. Charles Finn is the author of that poem, and the poem is called Please Hear What I'm Not Saying. It is my honor and my pleasure that he's joining me today on this podcast. Thank you so much, Charles. You're welcome,
1: and you can call me Charlie.
0: Charlie. I love it, and I have to thank your wife, Penny, for getting you on Skype, so thank you, Penny. (laughs) We owe her a debt of gratitude. Charlie Finn, my new friend, is a writer who works as a licensed professional counselor with adolescents and adults on issues relating to life transitions, substance abuse, and the role of spirituality when up against it. We'll talk about that. He's been married to his beautiful wife, Penny, for a long time now. On your web- on your website, it says 36 years. What's the truth? It's up to 37. Congratulations. Awesome. They ha- are the adoptive parents of two beautiful children uh charlie still does most of his writing on a yellow legal pad is that true have you graduated from that
1: i've graduated to doing a little more of it actually on the computer but still most of it i begin longhand and then go to the computer but i do a lot of revising when i see the rough draft on the computer it's seldom what i really want
0: (laughs) yeah yeah that's a big transition it also says on your um on your website, that you glory in thunderstorms, flowers, and everyday miracles. I love that. You're such a poet. It's, you're my first...
1: Actually, actually, Penny, my wife, who put this, my website together, she and my daughter, April, Penny did you know some of those things that you just read. That was her summary, uh, but I think pretty accurate.
0: Yes, yes. So you're my first poet that I've had on my podcast, so I'm I'm very excited. You describe Please Hear What I'm Not Saying as sort of a message in a bottle. You sent it out there. You wrote it back in 1966, I guess. Is that correct? Correct. Right. Yes. So you sent it out there with no real expectations, just to kind of put good vibes out in the universe. Can you talk about your first experience with the poem, um, the first time you heard it being read in public, and, and how it just it spread? Just, can you talk about that a little bit?
1: A little bit of background behind writing the poem. This is back in September of 66. At the time, I was in the seminary studying to become a priest, I was raised Catholic, went to a Jesuit high school. After high school, I joined the Jesuit order with a view to becoming a priest. And while I was still in the order, I later on left in 69, uh, and before I was ordained, so that's past history for me. But while I was in the order, we I was sent to Chicago. There's a, a college prep on the south side of Chicago called St. Ignatius, and I had just been sent there to begin three years of teaching, um, and prior to that, um, when I, in the early years as a Jesuit, I had written some poetry, but not much, and the little that I did write was sort of a a grunt and grind affair. You know, I get a good idea, but a lot of time, a lot of rehashing went into the the, uh, the process. Unlike that, I found myself one evening, so okay, so this is September of 66, and I didn't sit down with the thought of writing a poem. I just uh, began putting down Reflections that were coming to me, um, starting off with "Don't be fooled by me. Don't be fooled by the mask I wear," um, and it's it's a couple of pages. You know, it, this is not a short thing. But when I <clears throat> when I got to the end of it, I, I looked it over and I thought, you know, this is this is kind of like a long poem. So my point being is, I didn't. I wasn't thinking of creating a poem and I wasn't thinking, and therefore I wasn't thinking about getting it published, uh, but when I wrote it, it struck me, hey, I like this enough to think of sharing it with close friends, my family, and with some of the students that I was teaching at St. Ignatius, but when I typed it out, I didn't even put my name on it. Again, not even thinking of publishing and they knew who I was. So I just said, Hey, this is something I wrote recently. What do you think? Type thing. And that was about it. You know, I didn't think more about that poem until early in 1969. So we're talking two and a half years, something like that. Um, a friend of mine had a brother who was in college at St. Louis, I think it was St. Louis University, I'm not sure. Bottom line is, there is a student paper, and my poem was on the cover of it. And so anyway, when my friend found that from his brother, he brought it to me, it's like, wow, can you believe that? But then that began either in written form For word of mouth, I started hearing from more and more people where it had been quoted, different kind of publications, including um, a record. A a friend of mine, this this is an ex-student who went up to some school in Michigan. He brought back an album called Roscoe Speaks. Uh, and with a number of poems that this guy Roscoe was reading and one of the poems was my poem and it was um, I, usually it came back anonymous I think on his album he put down traditional you know so you can imagine my goosebumps to realize yeah. that something I had written hadn't bothered to put my name on it wouldn't, but then it started being passed around from, you know, person to person. And one of the, the interesting ironies is I never could figure out who Roscoe was <laughs> until in 1972. This is a number of years later. I took a year off teaching. Um, at that point, I had left the Jesuits. Uh, but I stayed in Chicago and was teaching at another school. But I took a year off to travel, and I was over in Europe hitchhiking up the Spanish coast towards Barcelona, and I get a ride with a, a, a an Englishman, um, and in the course, you know, you have a few hours when you're riding with somebody. We get talking about various things, and I happen to mention I write some poetry, and he said, well, have you ever had anything published. And I said no, but then I said, well, something I wrote a long time ago, a few years ago, came back in this album, Roscoe Speaks, but i never heard of who Roscoe was. And the English guy said, well, Roscoe, he's a, a DJ in London, and he cuts these albums. He's also a poet. So the bottom line is it took me hitchhiking up the coast in Spain to learn that my poem was not only being passed around the country here, but it even made it to England.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
1: And over the years, it's, you know, it's turned out it's made it around the world. So it is kind of a, it's, while it's thrilling, it's also humbling to, you know, back to that image of the, the message in the bottle, I, It's. I put it out there, not thinking, not even hoping it would go around very far. I just wanted to share it with a few people, but for whatever reason, it really struck a chord, and it has gone around the world in a way that is is pretty amazing. And I still kind of shake my head to realize something I wrote at the age of 25 many years ago is. it's still not only has had that history, but I still hear from people regularly from around the world who now know about my website, you know, that they're, they're still being touched by this. And it's, it's. Right. Right. It's hard but, to find the words to describe my feelings about that.
0: It's, it's definitely a God thing. As, as I said earlier in the podcast. Um, yeah, you write in your book. Please hear what I'm not saying, a poem's reach around the world. Here you write about it and you say that it was really everyone I was writing to. It was everyone deep down that I was writing about. I don't recall being either agitated or depressed at the time. I simply was pondering on paper what I I had come to believe was a basic human reality, vulnerable to be sure. But is that not where we begin our fraught with peril and promise human journey and where we remain behind masks and walls until love progressively has given our hearts wings? That's beautiful. So you're, you're looking back saying, what was, where was I in, at that moment when I was writing that? Yeah. And you, so you didn't put your name on it, but then how did you decide to come clean about your authorship? <laughs>
1: Well, you know, until 1975, all the versions that came back to me were anonymous or traditional, something, author unknown, Mm
0: -hmm. and that was fine
1: with me. It was like, it didn't need to have my name. It was reaching people, and that's what a writer or any artist, I think, would Hope that his or her work would touch other people, and mine was doing that. So the fact that it was anonymous, you know, was my secret or my friend's secret, and it didn't have to be, you know, to go beyond that. Until uh, 1975, a book came out entitled Masks, which was not my title, but it was my poem, claimed by another writer. And... Of course, I was upset. I contacted the publisher. He was upset, and the bottom line, though, and I checked with an attorney, well, I even called the person. Uh, I don't want to go any further into it right now. The person denied it, said that he, you know, to, he didn't question that I wrote it, but he said it's one of those things that two people were inspired to write the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I said, come on Buster, you know, this isn't a two-line poem, this has, it's two pages, you know, and I basically said, you, you, you're going to be hearing from my attorney, you know. Well, I did check with an attorney and he said, once something has reached the public domain, it's very hard to prove authorship. So, bottom line is I decided that when I would start publishing my own poetry, I would certainly include Please Here." and and let it go at that, you know. So from yeah. now on, any time I've shared the poem, it's got my name on it. And if anybody wants to contest it, yeah. you know, they're welcome to do that. But, um, but yeah. anyway, so that's what brought me to figure it's time to put my name on it.
0: Right, um, so it wasn't like you needed the credit, but when somebody else starts to put their name on it, I think it's time to, to come clean, as we say. Yes. You know, it's funny. This was back in like the 60s and the 70s when there was no internet. Now we talk about, you know, what's trending, what's making it around the internet, you know, really fast. And this thing, this beautiful poem made it around the world with with l- very little help. So you have to you have to think there was something uh sort of mystical behind it's uh its meaning, it, that it that it touched so many people. Can you talk about the, uh, in your book, uh, your book about poems reach around the world, you talk about the different types of people that have appreciated your poem. Can you talk a little bit about the response that you've had and what kind of people have have gotten back to you about it?
1: Yeah, uh, this is fascinating. It just struck me one of the books that please hear is included in with my name, in fact, this is how a number of people have reached out to me. Uh, it's called Healing the Child Within. It was, I think it came out in the early 90s. But that spoke, as the title of that book attests, it, it speaks to people who have struggle with a variety of things, and their image of themselves has been wounded enough that the book addressed that phenomenon, and in in that context quoted my poem. But to get back to your question, some of the people that have responded felt it must have been a woman who wrote that because... It, it seemed to be sensitive enough, or for whatever reason, and, and not only a woman, other people, meant some men as well as women, felt that it must be a person who has been abused and has lived through a lot of deep pain in their early life that has caused them to have such doubts about themselves and made it so hard for them to take off the mask and, and to be real with other people. Uh, i I heard from some veterans of Vietnam who were convinced that it, another veteran must have written that mm-hmm. because it so spoke to his, it, it may have been you know female warriors back then, but most in the Vietnam War were, were male. But it, they were convinced that again it had to have been a Vietnam vet or a war vet. Um, I've heard from a lot of people struggling with substance abuse, and part of my own counseling experience for many years was working at a treatment center for alcohol and drug problems. And a lot of folks who found that poem are convinced that it must have been written by an addict Otherwise, they couldn't have somehow touched on what they were experiencing within themselves. Uh, there are a number of people that have struggled with thoughts of suicide and were con- and thankfully had not taken that step and found a great deal of meaning in my poem. But they were convinced that who wrote this must be someone who has gone to the brink in the same way. Uh, So those are just a few examples of people, male and female, struggling with a variety of issues uh, that they have felt that that must have been part of my experience in writing it. Yes. And as I, have from the little bit that you just read, when I reflect back on that, that's not the angst that I was struggling with. It wasn't that, it wasn't a dramatic inner challenge as much as it, as it was just recognizing within me and then in my last few lines in the poem, I generalize it to every man you meet and every woman you meet. I was, I think I was just, acknowledging a vulnerable place where we have deep doubts about whether we're really lovable until but we're afraid you know we don't want people to know that so we can be very convincing in our act but secretly hoping that people see through the act uh, and give us what we can't ask for. They can give us the affirmation or the love. And when that happens, it's like our hearts grow wings. And that's how we come into a full embrace of our own humanity, thanks to the love received from other people who aren't deceived by our nonchalance.
0: Mm, Exactly. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> now I—that's exactly you've articulated it perfectly. That's exactly what we get from it, Charlie. That's so beautiful. I, I'm sort of a new podcast producer, so as as a podcaster, I listen to other podcasts, and I happened to come upon this podcast where this young girl was reading your poem, and she was struggling with an addiction, and as she was reading, she was she she could barely get through it because. It was touching her heart so much and to listen to her read this poem. Oh my gosh. It just, it opened my heart. Like you said, it just opened my heart to have compassion and for someone who I might not have. Prior to that had compassion for it's just an amazing thing and I want you to I want to get to the poem and I want you to read it for our listeners but I want to talk a little bit about what you're writing now like now has this changed who you write for because you have so many books of poetry out there and um, please hear what I'm not saying is in your book for the mystically inclined but you have so many other books out there that people can go to your website and find who do you write for now and what are you writing now?
1: To preface my response, um, well, the, the quick response that I can elaborate on in a minute is I'm not so much writing new things now as much as putting together things that I have done in the past, but in a different format, and the different format is creating what I call my mandalas. Um, I can, depending on our time here, I could show some of the mandalas I'm working on. But it basically entails creating, I draw a huge circle on a poster board. And within that circle, I honor different dimensions of my life. Um, for instance, for each year, and I began this in 1981, so I have 34 mandalas on each year, where I'll fill in the events of each month on this mandala. Well, my I have some over there too that I was going to show, possibly Penny. Uh, I fill in month by month. I will summarize some of the major events. Are not so much external but internal mm-hmm. events um, and then at the end of the year Penny just brought over what I'm, okay. I don't know
0: oh wow that's amazing
1: yeah I'm not sure that I can make this real clear but, okay Penny's gonna hold it back so you can okay. see it
0: um, yeah so it's a giant poster board and it's broken down by month, and there's a lot in each month. Wow, you have a really full life, Charlie. (laughs) Well,
1: and you might see that it gets up through September Uh of 2014, and that means at the end of each month, then I will fill in another month. At the end of the year, I will have the events outer and inner that have been important to me in the course of this year, and the blank space in the center, then I go back and I ponder is there a theme to the year? Is there a primary challenge or, you know, experience that somehow encapsulates the whole year? Wow. What a great That's idea. an example of the kind of creation of my mandalas. And I'm put back to your question. I'm creating a book called Building a Memory Cathedral. And I have over a hundred of these mandalas on very different issues. You know, these are the ones on each year, but I've got them on my wisdom figures, beginning with Gerard Manley Hopkins, who's you know one of my favorite poets, all the way to you know, Nelson Mandela, Maya Angelou. I'm just finishing one on Vincent Van Gogh right now. So there'll be a chapter of this book called. Uh, building a memory cathedral, a chapter on the wisdom figures, not only on each year, but on each, uh, well, on decades. You know, when it came to, you know, I hit my first decade mandala was the decade of my 30s. So for each slice of the pie, there would be one year that I would try to summarize in that one segment and uh-huh teachings of that year, but I could go more into detail and all that, but I didn't want to kind of get off. Basically, I'm not so much writing new things, although I am doing some of that as it just spontaneously comes to me, but in terms of an actual book that I'm putting together, well, there are actually two. One is all of my mandalas with commentaries, Uh, but that's more of a memoir it's very personal, obviously, and that's not something that would be of interest to the public.
0: I don't know, Charlie. I think I think those mandalas are fascinating. I I work with a, a group every week. We get together, and we do this thing called theological reflections where we sort of kind of like you have done, we reflect on, I mean, it can be any subject, but um, reflect on what the culture says, what theology says, you know, and we basically free associate and and it's sort of what you've done with your mandalas. And you can really, really by doing that, you do recognize the God things that happen. I think, I think it's, it's pretty cool that we, that I started the podcast that way, because that's what you're doing sort of. You're, yeah. you're picking up on the themes in your life that it really you have surrendered to and that God is bringing into your life. One of
1: the mandalas I did, I call, uh, holy ground. And I went back through my life, and I put down all the different places, the actual physical places beginning with where I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, Um, but different events that happened in different places that have made those places sacred to me. And after I did that, I thought, let me do one, and I I didn't call it holy moments. the word I came up with was incandescent moments, which I've since adjusted, now I call it illuminations. But I started, I figured I could do one, beginning with my birth, and in one mandala, I could put the 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 important incandescent moments of my life. Well, I got from my birth, this is back in 41, till my marriage with Penny in 77, And that filled out a mandala, and I thought, well, clearly, I need to do another mandala, thinking that the second one would take me up until the present. But a brief comment, I've gotten, the more I do this, and the more I review my journals, which I've done a lot of journaling over the years, the more richness I tap into, so that now I'm up to illuminations number 10, you know, just the rich moments that have come to me, they might be natural experiences or human encounters or books that I've read or lines from a poem that stand out from all the rest. You know, I've sort of memorialized these on these mandalas. So one book is going to be all my mandalas, but then, because I think that would be overwhelming to someone else, I'm working on a second book that I, it's basically a how-to book. It's, I'm going to call it memory circles, um, how to create your own mandalas. So I'm taking, well, each year I sort of take people through how they could create a mandala. For instance, January 2015 is about here. And it's a suggestion how someone at the beginning of January can start to keep track, and then at the end of the month they can fill in some things in January, and they can start creating their own model for 2015. I
0: love that idea.
1: Or another chapter is on taking a trip. I travel a fair amount, and when I began in 2005, my family, I took, Penny and I took our kids to France, and when I came back, you know, I had kept a journal through that experience, so when I came back, I created a mandala that sums up all the high points of that trip to France. And now I have about, you know, 10 mandalas of places that I've traveled since then. So it's a wonderful way to commemorate an experience like, you know, going on a trip. And so the second book I'm working on is more... It's briefer, but it touches on some of these different areas and show it's an invitation to people that had maybe never thought of that way of creating not another way I like to think of this is not just a mandala, but a shield and meaning the Native American warrior would create a shield. And I used to think, well, that must, you know, that they, symbols or the colors on that shield must be a message to other people about the warrior. And somewhere along the line, I heard or I read that those markings on that shield are meant for the carrier of the shield to remind him of the visitations of spirit that have happened in his or her life. So that's, in a sense, These are shields that I've created that have been immensely meaningful. Well, for myself, ways of enshrining memories that have happened, you know, in the course of my own journey. But now back to your question, I'm sensing that there's, there's something here that might really speak to other people who are also trying to enshrine their own memories. So that's what I'm working on right now
0: yes yes definitely I think this is a fascinating method I mean for creative people or for people who just want to be more aware or conscious of the God things in their lives so thank you I was gonna ask you for uh, advice for writers out there who might be interested in sharing their hearts the way you have done it but I think you just gave us some great advice so um, for more information about your work your website your many books of poetry, your blog—you have so much, so much uh, creativity just coming through you. Can you can you tell us where we can find you?
1: www.poetrybycharlescfinn.com. Uh, that's the website. Okay. That, that originally my wife and my daughter helped me create, but then April, my daughter, got married to James Holland back three years ago, and James has helped revise my mandala, and now in, it it includes a blog. It's uh, uh, something I very much appreciate. So, my son-in-law has helped in the creation of this, you know, refined website mm-hmm. that has a lot of my, again, not just the poetry and the books in case people would be interested in them. but you know, a number of essays that I've written and an opportunity for people to respond and enter into a conversation. Uh, and there's places, some history, you know. Up. Yeah. Anyway, a lot of things are on that website. That's how they would, you know, contact me.
0: Yes, it's a great way to get to know you and to keep an eye out for your, your upcoming books. So without further ado, we've been waiting long enough would you do us the honor of reading your poem for anyone who possibly has been, well, maybe living on another planet and hasn't heard this poem? <laughs> could, you, could you read, please hear what I'm not saying for me and for everyone else? And That's thank you so much for I, doing this. I'm, <laughs> I
1: can and I will. And this is, again, from, uh, from The Mystically Inclined. Don't be fooled by me. Don't be fooled by the face I wear, for I wear a mask, a thousand masks. Masks that I'm afraid to take off, and none of them is me. Pretending is an art that's second nature with me, but don't be fooled. For God's sake, don't be fooled. I give you the impression that I'm secure. That all is sunny and unruffled with me, within as well as without. That confidence is my name and coolness my game. That the water's calm and I'm in command. And that I need no one. But don't believe me. My surface may seem smooth, but my surface is my mask. Ever varying, and ever concealing. Beneath lies no complacence. Beneath lies confusion and fear and aloneness. But I hide this. I don't want anybody to know it. I panic at the thought of my weakness exposed. That's why I frantically create a mask to hide behind, a nonchalant, sophisticated facade to help me pretend, to shield me from the glance that knows. But such a glance is precisely my salvation, my only hope, and I know it, that is, if it's followed by acceptance, if it's followed by love. It's the only thing that can liberate me from myself, from my own self-built prison walls, from the barriers I so painstakingly erect. It's the only thing that will assure me of what I can't assure myself, that I'm really worth something, but I don't tell you this. I don't dare to. I'm afraid to. I'm afraid your glance will not be followed by acceptance, will not be followed by love. I'm afraid you'll think less of me, that you'll laugh, and your laugh would kill me. I'm afraid that deep down I'm nothing, and that you will see this and reject me. So I play my game, my desperate pretending game, with a facade of assurance without and a trembling child within. So begins the glittering but empty parade of masks and my life becomes a front. I tell you everything that's really nothing and nothing of what's everything. Of what's crying within me. So when I'm going through my routine, do not be fooled by what I'm saying. Please listen carefully and try to hear what I'm not saying, what I'd like to be able to say, what for survival I need to say, but what I can't say. I don't like hiding. I don't like playing superficial, phony games. I wanna stop playing them. I wanna be genuine and spontaneous in me. But you've got to help me. You've got to hold out your hand, even when that's the last thing I seem to want. Only you can wipe away from my eyes The blank stare of the breathing dead. Only you can call me into aliveness. Each time you're kind and gentle and encouraging, each time you try to understand because you really care, my heart begins to grow wings, very small wings, very feeble wings, but wings. With your power to touch me into feeling, you can breathe life into me. I want you to know that. I want you to know how important you are to me. How you can be a creator, an honest to God creator of the person that is me, if you choose to. You alone can break down the wall behind which I tremble. You alone can remove my mask. You alone can release me from my shadow world of panic, from my lonely prison, if you choose to. Please choose to. Do not pass me by. It will not be easy for you. A long conviction of worthlessness builds strong walls. The nearer you approach to me, the blinder I may strike back. It's irrational, but despite what the books say about man, often I am irrational. I fight against the very thing I cry out for, but I am told that love is stronger than strong walls. And in this lies my hope, please try to beat down those walls with firm hands, but with gentle hands, for a child is very sensitive. Who am I, you may wonder? I am someone you know very well, for I am every man you meet, and I am every woman you meet.
0: Thank you. Charlie Finn, you are definitely a God thing. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I could talk to you all day, (laughs) but I'll let you go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Connie. Mm -hmm. You're doing a terrific thing. Just opening up to other people ideas and feelings that have touched you deeply, and you have found your own way to open some treasures up for other people. And that's a great gift that you have and are
0: living. So thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Happy Healthy You. And just for you guys, the Happy Healthy You listener, Audible, the awesome audiobook people, are offering a free 30-day trial to give you the chance to check them out. I always have about three audiobooks going at once. I listen when I'm driving, they're great on long trips, when I'm running, or just hanging out at home. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash happyhealthyyou. Hey, you'll also be helping support this podcast, so thanks.